We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. By now, you know that I'm Kel Dansby. Yep, and it's Andreas Hale. And we're coming to you today via Skype once again. We're uh, getting some new equipment, getting the budget up, getting that money right. And as soon as that happens, we'll be back at our home in the Las Vegas Fight Shop here in the planet Hollywood in Las Vegas. So if you guys come through, we'll be there. It's been a crazy couple weeks trying to get this new equipment. But what can you say? Your boy's got a budget. Yeah, man. We got to we gotta do what we got to do. And we got to keep the show going. So, you know, deal with it. <laughs> but for right now, we got to talk hip-hop, boxing, pro wrestling, and MMA. There's a lot of stuff going on this week. And we have a lot of stuff from last week that we have to recap. So let's get right to it. Uh, I want to start this show off with a question. Why is there so many upsets this year? Dre, you, you know everything, man. You got your hand in everything. Why are there so many upsets in all sports, music, the entire realm? Uh, man, I don't know. <laughs> it's just about that time. I think uh, I really can't tell you. It's, it's a wild year. Like, everybody's favorites are going down. Um, Golden it's hard State's to have... about to take this L. They might take this L depending on when you listen to the podcast. They might it's be up out of here by the time you hear this. Yeah, I couldn't even have called that. You know, I watched that, the game yesterday, and uh, yeah, man, uh, I, you couldn't have told me that uh, Oklahoma City would have just ran through them like they have. You know, two blowout wins. Uh, I picked Golden State in five or six, and uh, there's no way they're going to do this unless it goes to seven. So it's just a matter of, you know, I don't know if teams are feeling themselves or strategizing properly. I mean, in the case of the Oklahoma City Thunder, 
Russell, Russell Westbrook is unstoppable, and Golden State can't get a rebound to save their life. <laughs> you know, they exposed them. Uh, Ibaka remembered that he's a defensive presence and stopped shooting threes. That always helps. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that always helps. Draymond you know, Green lost his damn mind. Yeah, he's, you know, these guys think they're pro wrestlers, man. They just they just do whatever. I mean, maybe, maybe Draymond should have been suspended for that game. I don't know. Yo, Vince McMahon is booking everything. He's booking yeah, the world right now. Yo, know, I, I, I tell you what, though. Adam Silver is going to punt a baby into the Atlantic Ocean if he gets an Oklahoma City Thunder and Toronto Raptors NBA Finals. Ugh, that'd be ugly. Yeah, you're, you have to go. Yeah, well, I would not be going to that. I still don't have my passport. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so logistics that. would demand that I would uh, be here in Vegas covering UFC and everything else with you. Well, So let's hey. pull for Cleveland here. Root for the Cavaliers. <laughs> So I can get some work. Um, Lord. Another upset, you know, just on the same theme of upsets. You know, we have McGregor this year, Rousey late last year. Meek Mill pulled the upset at the Billboard Awards. Hip hop album of the year? Okay, that's just bullshit. Let's let's just call it what it is. There's over just your no boy Kendrick. I mean, over Kendrick, over Drake, over Drake. Look, look Meek didn't have a bad album. Uh, you know, I never say he had a bad album, but the fact that he beat all three of them. That's a joke. That's a joke of the highest degree. Um, yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, I didn't like the album that much. It didn't make any of our list on this show. No, it didn't. I mean, like I said, it's not a it's not a bad album, but it's just not an album that I would pick as the album of the year. But again, this is Billboard. They had Iggy Azalea's rap album of the year, so at least you know, she sold copies. That's true. I'm stuck. I can't tell you. Like to say it was better than Drake's. If you're reading this, it's too late. It's ridiculous. To say it's better than Kendrick's to Pimple Butterfly. It's ridiculous. Everything's ridiculous. The only album that I could say that was on that list is better is that that it's better than is the Future and Drake album. Um, but other than that, I mean, let me. I'll tell you this: the Billboard Music Awards were here in Vegas, and I forgot all about it. I could care less to attend. I I had I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So yeah. Yeah, whatever. I forgot to apply to cover it. I was yeah, uh, I too interested in, you know, watching Extreme Rules that night. And I'm, I'm glad that I went Extreme Rules over Billboard Music Award. Yeah, I, I didn't miss it. I feel like I didn't miss anything. There was a Prince tribute um, that people are, you know, shitting on because it was Madonna. I, I don't care. It's, oh, they crushed it. You can't do Prince dirty in the tribute, though. Nah, you can't. But I mean. And BET, with their tweet, came well, through and was like, yo, we got you. BET is one of them places. They're good with their tributes, but BET is one of those places just needs to shut the hell up. I mean, until they get it right constantly, they are known to fuck anything up. So uh, their audio guy mostly fucks up. They have the worst audio visual editor. He can't blank out curse words to save his life. Cuts out half the verse. He never gets it right. So it's like you know, until you get your technical stuff down, BET just shut the fuck up. Just don't put yourself in a position where you can lose. Just chill. You just sound like you're over award season. I've never been a fan of award season. Awards are so trite, and you know it's just a bunch of, you know, opinions. I mean, you want to see the best albums win, but it just rarely ever happens. Except so. for the Grammys, because they cut the check. <laughs> Shout out. Well, to yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I you know work with the Grammys, but I mean, as a whole, I'm, I'm not afraid to say the awards are just boring as hell to me. They are boring. They're they're done by people that I, I couldn't care less about. You know, for the most part. And what do they really mean at the end of the day? So, See, I, I haven't had to cover an award show yet. You've done numerous. 
I've never had to be there. And like just listening to you, I'm, I'm in no rush. At like a seven hour, just standing around. Oh, it's so long. Nothing. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. You know, it's so long, and it's like you get these. You know, some performances are really great. Like this year, you know, obviously Kendrick's Grammy performance was great. There was a few other performances, like Alabama Shakes had a great performance. But you know, award shows again, it's just like. You know, I could go to a concert and see a lot of this stuff. It's very rare that you get these really, really great shows, um, award shows for that matter. And, you know, because you're always mixed with a bunch of artists that you don't care about. You know, sometimes like I don't want to see Taylor Swift. I don't care. But then, you know, maybe you want to see maybe Radiohead's going to perform at an award show. So it's like you want to tune in to see that. Then you got to sit through a four hour show full of awards that you don't care about to get to the one performance you want to see. I damn sure don't want to see Pink flying around on anything anymore. Yes, uh, I mean, the war season... Her never on the ground. Nah, you know, but she, she tries to do her thing. She tries to get an award, you know, put it together something dope for the awards. But some artists, they just kind of mail it in. I don't know, you know. Like, this week, this uh, season was all about the weekend. I'm not a fan of anything he's done lately, so... His, his album was tough. I, I can't front on his album. He hasn't put out bad music yet. This wasn't even his best project, though. So it's, nah. it's odd to see people, you know, collect a ton of awards for stuff that's maybe like their B or, you know, B-minus yeah. game. Yeah, like I've always said, I'm a fan of the House of Balloons weekend. The old, I don't know who you, what you look like the weekend. You know, the depressed, I'm going to pop a bunch of pills. Like this version of the weekend, I'm just not really a fan of. But, you know, teach his own. He's doing his thing. He's, he's getting his. Uh, but back to the, the, the matter at hand, Meek Mill winning that award. I don't even, yo, I don't even understand how they got there. I don't even know who the person was that voted and was like, yo. How was he in the nominations? So I'm saying, like, we should, we should vote for Meek Mill over everybody. And somebody's like, yeah, Meek Mill over every. No, that's not how these things should work. <laughs> Maybe they felt sorry for Meek. He took a lot of L's last year. Yeah, but I don't mean you just give him the best rap album of the year. Come on, son. Seems like the trend. Iggy got it. Like you said, it's, it's not the best, like, you know, benchmark for a hip-hop album. Nah, it's so not. You really don't want to win that award. Yeah, it's it's crazy how what these cats are, how they're winning, what they're winning. Um, and, then, you know, I don't even consider these things upsets because, you know, an upset is something that you have control over. You know, these cats have no control over any of this stuff. You know, just random people voting for shit and yeah, whatever. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, another thing in hip hop that popped off and just happened today. Uh, last night, matter of fact, if everyone was awake, I was sleeping. But it's Jay-Z's verse on the All The Way Up remix. Fat Joe and Remy Ma actually gave new verses to the track, too. So I thought it was a dope remix. We don't even get that many remixes anymore. Um, nah. But Fat Joe's you know, he's a product of the 90s, you know, 90s hip-hop. So he's still dropping the remixes, trying to milk this single for everything it's worth. And it's dope, and he created like a nice little second buzz for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's talking about Jay's verse. The fact that he referenced Beyonce, uh, eliminate the guru line from uh, Joy Clemens, popular drink, it still is. Um, you know, his, I mean, Jay's verse was dope. But, yo, Remy tore that joint down. She put that joint on fire and put any female rapper, namely Nicki Minaj, on notice that I'm, you know, I'm really coming for that top female rapper spot. I wasn't breaking out, right? It. That whole thing was like a subliminal to Nicki Minaj. Uh, yo, I, I think it was verse. just... I just felt like it was just at anybody who wants it, and Nicki just happens to be the one in the way. So, yo, anybody can get it. And Remy could always spit. That was never the question. Yeah, uh, she just needed to stay out of jail. Yeah, That's all that was. She's one of the few that I think loving hip-hop has really helped. 
because she went on the show and didn't really act an ass. Like, her and Papoose put on a good face. They, you know, didn't do anything stupid for the cameras. They showed her coming out of prison, their love, and she went right back in the studio. Yeah, they did a good job. I was worried, um, you know, when I heard Pap and Reverend Ma was going to be on there. And they both, they represented well for themselves. And, you know, they, now they come out with a hot single, um, you know, Fat Joe, the old Terror Squad days. It's, yo, it's a, it's a good, legitimate remix. Oh, you know, on a side note, before other things when we're talking about hip hop, did you get a chance to watch the Stretch and Bob Beato documentary on Showtime? I have not seen it yet. And uh, I remember you hit me up when you first watched it. It was like, yo, you got to see this. And then uh, I was like, damn, I just haven't been able to sit down with Showtime yet and, like, really watch it. I've been on Raw, and then, you know, it was a WWE pay-per-view on Sunday, and it just seems like stuff was back to back to back. We covered fights last week, so I haven't been able to sit down and watch it yet. Man, it's just, from if you love, like, 90s hip-hop or the era where, you know, the DJ was breaking artists and you got to hear freestyles, like... It's, this is Stretch About Beatles show. If, if for that, those who don't know, they broke everybody from Big to Nas. Like, everybody appeared on their show. And the documentary on Showtime is actually phenomenal because it goes through Stretch About Beatles years as DJs where they were really getting paid nothing before they went to Hot 97. You get to hear all the freestyles. They actually play the freestyles for the artists. So it's like, it's funny watching Nas listen to a freestyle of him from like 24 years ago. And he's sitting there going, Nodding his head like I said that this is me like Jay Z's on there. Um, obviously, Stretch about Beatles shows best known for the Jay Z Big L freestyle um, that's amassed like millions of hits on YouTube. But you know Jay's listened to it and it's an actual cassette copy of those two spitting. <laughs> so it's like if anybody's a big fan of hip hop and you know the golden age, no, not the golden age, the '90s, um, the early '90s when hip hop was super dope. You know, not saying it's not now, but it kind of isn't now. Um, you need to watch this documentary. It's just, it's mandatory listening. It'll take you back. You, you listen to like old big verses. You'll hear like stories from Stretch and Bobbito. It's just, as a hip hop kid who grew up in that era and was like begging his uncle to, from New York to bring him back mixtapes, like Doo Wop and Ron G mixtapes, it was great to hear, see this documentary and it reminded me how dope hip hop could be. Yo, when are you going to break out your tapes? Everyone's waiting for it. You got the tapes in hand. We need to hear you spit. Everyone, I know you got bars. No, man, that's not happening. We're not, we're not doing. We're going to devote an entire show to that. I'm telling you, you got it. We just got to hear at least one track. No. We're going to start a campaign. Yeah, something. Like you need like a thousand retweets or something. We're going to make this happen. Yo, I don't even know where them joints are at. Yo, to what, be honest, you just got them. What was your rapper name? What, what was your your AKA? Yo, it's funny. Uh, my rapper name was The Game. Before there was The Game, my rapper moniker was The Game. Weird, right? You were The Game before The Game. Yeah, I was The Game. And I don't, was I don't even remember Triple why. Triple H was The Game? This was like around the same time. I was like, yo, that's actually a really dope name. I'm going to call myself that. <laughs> and I did. And yeah, you see how that worked out. Shout out um, to Hunter. Right. And then I saw, I remember seeing the Source magazine that had like The Game on there. And I was like, this motherfucker done stole my name. And well, I guess he's done pretty well with it. Uh, you know, we've got to look at what he's accomplished over his career. So, yeah, but no, you guys are never going to hear me rap. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Yo, we're going to get those tapes somehow, that's some like, way. Yo, that's like me on the court. Like, I haven't hooped in years. I'm not about to go embarrass myself for y'all. Oh, we got a pickup <laughs> game going, too. See, this is a whole bunch of stuff we got to do as a show for, like, a, a team bonding. You know how, like, corporations have retreats? 
we got to do all this. We got to get your tapes, play them on the show. We got to play hoops. I can still ball. I'm still semi-young. You, you know, we'll make sure you stretch. We'll make sure you're hydrated. We'll play a nice pickup game. Everybody can ball. I know Marcus can ball probably. He's short, I think it would be the best ball. worst game ever. That, I think that's what would happen. Yo, we I all got, got one on. full court in me. One. Game <laughs> Yo, when's the last time you hooped? Um, I played probably two months ago, like in just some pickup with some friends. But last year at the NBA Finals, um, there's always an NBA executive pickup game on the court. So it's in between games like either one and two or three and four. And there's a ton of NBA executives and they invite some media people out to play. And I happen to know um, one of the executives from growing up in New York. Uh, he's really good friends with my family. So he was like, yo, come and play ball. So I went. I went to Walmart and bought like a pair of Walmart brand sneakers because I and in a pair of Walmart shorts because I didn't bring <laughs> any of that to the NBA Finals. And there was a Walmart not too far from where the hotel was. So I went to Walmart, bought like the cheapest stuff I can buy and uh, went and played ball on the Golden State Warriors court between games two, uh, three and four last year. Well, I can't compete with that. I don't. You, I, to be honest with you, the last time I bought, it's been at least like three years. Yo, I was like almost to, dying though. Like, there's a bunch of like forty-seven-year-old white dudes worth way too much money that still got jump shots. Like, they probably all used to play in the league. Like, it didn't connect in my head. Like, to be an NBA executive, you probably played somewhere. There was like yeah. this fifty-one-year-old white dude. He had to be like six-four coming down. He was Steph Curry. He was hitting it from six feet behind the three-point line. Talk oh, about, like, oh, man, I haven't played in years. Like, come on. He was the ringer. He just lighting <laughs> it up, lighting it up, making us all look bad. Yeah, see, I, yo, I don't, I haven't hooped in mad long. Like, so, yeah, good luck on making that happen. And if we do, there'll be no cameras allowed. <laughs> Closed circuit, like Floyd? Yeah, man. And I mean, not even close. Yeah, you got to shut off everything. I'm taking all iPhones, like. You can't, you can't record this because I'm going to need to get a few games in before I get going. Listen, I don't want to be embarrassed. Listen, I got connections. What we'll do is we'll go. I'll try to get the palm suite with the basketball court in it. If I get that, you got to come play. And we got to record it. It's in the palms. It's a suite. We'll do a podcast and the show. We'll, we'll make sure we do some live videos of us ball. Yeah, I won't hold my breath, but uh, we'll do that. I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners are tired of hearing this about basketball. That's not what they came here for. <laughs> All right, let's switch over because we have boxing to talk about. Um, Triple G. Triple G is a unified champion. Yeah. He got all the gold, all the belts. Well, he's got most of the belts. He doesn't have them all. Billy well, Joe Saunders still has the belt. Yeah. Billy Joe Saunders still has one of the belts he needs to unify. Of course, Daniel Jacobs has one. But for the most part, with Canelo just dumping his belt in the trash, pretty much, he basically medusa it. Um, Alonzo blazed it. So, yeah, he's the, he's the you know. He holds most of the gold, so. And Canelo, I, I've been saying that, you know, Jacob's fight is next. You never really liked that fight for him. For who? For um, Canelo? For Triple G, excuse me. Oh, for Triple G. Well, that's not happening. Triple G and Jacob's aren't going to fight because Jacob's is scheduled to fight in September and Triple G's fighting in August if he doesn't fight Canelo. So it's not going to happen. Not right now. Um, it takes too long for these things to happen in boxing. That's well, still my I, gripe. Like, just and, put him in the ring. I just don't think that Al Heyman's in a rush to send his middleweight champion out there to get destroyed by Gennady Golovkin. Although I think it's a good fight. I'm a big fan of Daniel Jacobs. I think Danny Jacobs could be Canelo. Um, I just don't think they're eager to put him in the ring with Canelo, with Triple G anytime soon. Which, you know, 
all it's going to do is, you know, there's, there's only one person out there for Triple G, and we watched him fight this weekend in a boring-ass fight. Yeah, Eris Landy Lara uh, put on another boring fight. Even his fights against Canelo seem to be a little bit boring, but that's his gift. You know, he, he slows people down. He's technical. He doesn't want to be hit, and it's very hard to hit him even when you get the chance. We saw that with Canelo. A lot of those shots were grazing blows, and people thought Canelo lost because of that. Um, but with Triple G, it's a different beast. He'd have to move up six pounds. You know, he'd yeah. have to fight the bigger guy, someone who has a lot more power, someone who can cut off the ring probably better than anyone he's seen already in his career. But that being said, it's a great payday. Might as well take it. Well, yeah, I mean, Lara's the only person who has consistently called out Triple G. You know, nobody else in the, in the junior middleweight or middleweight division is doing this. And Lara's doing it because he thinks he can win. He's got a Cuban amateur style that's tough to beat. Um, and it may, it may lend for boring fights, but, you know, if you look at Lara's record, the only person he lost to that I was there to see was Carlos Molina. I thought that was a draw where it should have been Molina. Molina was the aggressor. But against Canelo, you can argue that Lara won. Against the first fight with Martirosian, um, before he won the rematch this weekend, I thought he was winning before the headbutt. Uh, Paul Williams, I definitely thought Lara won that match. So, you know, he could say that he's, you know, undefeated. Um, and you wouldn't find too many people that would complain with that. So he's the type of guy that wants to fight. He needs a payday. Nobody else is going to give it to him. He got one against Canelo. So he's not getting any not? younger either. Nah, and he's, he's got to go out there and fight. And, and what's the point? You know, nobody wants to see Lara fight. So you got to put him in there with somebody who's marketable uh, in a triple G. Now, God forbid they put that on pay-per-view. That's gonna, it's going to be doom and gloom when the numbers come in. <laughs> but, you know, if they do this thing on HBO, I think it's, it's a good move for Lara. Um, and it's a litmus test for Triple G because you get to the stage just like Pacquiao and Mayweather where you're fighting the same guys. And it's like, oh, well, you did this to him? Well, I'm going to do this to him. So it, it's, it's a logical step for both fighters to fight each other, Lara and Triple G. Definitely. And Lara, we just saw him at the Cosmo in a relatively tiny venue. With yeah. a late arriving crowd, it didn't probably get filled until his fight, um, which is odd because you know he had the probably the most boring fight on the main card. But with that being said, you know taking a step up, even Triple G in New York or in L.A., he's going to pack the stadium. It's the biggest stage Lauer has been on since the Canelo fight, and probably the last big stage he has available. So it, better now than than later. If Lauer feels right now he's in his prime. This is when he has to challenge Triple G. And once again, I, I think that's a good fight. If Canelo keeps saying Triple G doesn't have the resume for him you know, to earn a fight, just go beat all the people Canelo beat, and then your resumes are the same. Exactly. And that's what I feel like is a smart thing to do because you know, Canelo's clearly not in the rush to fight, fight him. Well, it's not, I'm, not, I'm going to stop blaming Canelo because it's not really Canelo's fault. This is on De La Hoya and Golden Boy. Um, and they're smart by doing that, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're smart from a business sense, for a fan sense. Like that, we've gotten to the point where fans are don't want to see Canelo duck. They're calling Canelo as ducking. It's not like Mayweather and Pacquiao where it's like 50-50 who's ducking, ducking who. It's gotten to the point where everybody knows that Canelo doesn't want this fight. And it's only hurting his brand because, again, there's not too many people for Canelo to fight. So, I mean, if, if Canelo's going to fight somebody, we can actually talk about the rest of the Showtime card. He can fight one of the Charlo brothers next. He can fight Jamel or Jamal. 
I wouldn't mind seeing like him fight one of those guys. If they're 154, Jamal could definitely make 160. Kid looks huge. Yeah, he's and way you know, than Jamal. You know, I mean, you might be sacrificing one of your bigger draws eventually. You know, the Charlo twins could be big draws in boxing. Um, no, I don't think they'll ever be huge draws, but I think they're big enough to the point where, you know, you could put them in there with the Canelo's a decent fight. But that's those are guys I want to see Canelo fight. If he's if you're not going to fight Triple G because you don't feel like you're you fought a proper middleweight, fight a legit junior middleweight. And I think one of the Charlo brothers fit that, um, even though Jamal. Even though Jamel didn't look that great against John Jackson this weekend. Um, he showed the he, power, though. And then that one punch, he yeah. showed some good power. Yeah, but he was losing. Um, he was losing on all three scorecards. and he ended up. Yeah, but he ended up getting that, that knockout, which was sick. <laughs> I mean, Jackson got hit and kind of just sat there. So he um, put his to, mouthpiece back in. Yeah, nah, he was reconsidering his life because he, he was trying to figure out what hit him. Uh, they, it was like he was out on his feet, but um, damn near had to put his teeth back in. Yeah, you know those are the knockouts that you want to see. But one of those guys, you know, could fight Canelo if Canelo's not going to fight anybody worth a damn because you can't keep fighting blown up uh, welterweights as a junior middleweight who comes into the ring as a light heavyweight. Uh, definitely, and uh, another person we saw at the fight—they weren't competing, but they were definitely talking a lot of trash. J Rock. Yeah, Julian Williams, man. Julian I, I think Williams behind us, he's the mandatory. For uh, yeah. Jamal Charlo's belt. And he rightfully so. Uh, anybody who's seen this kid fight knows that this kid can throw uh, and can get down. So I would love to see that fight. I know why Jamal chose Austin Trout. Austin Trout is somewhat of a bigger name who has fought Canelo and who has fought and beat Miguel Cotto. So I understand why Jamal went with a mandatory instead of uh, going straight to Julian Williams. But now you're going to have to fight him. And that, that'll be a hell of a fight. Uh, and, yeah, he was talking a lot of trash back there. Oh, yeah, he so. was not impressed at all. Nah, he wasn't. He gave the media a good show during that fight. Uh, he should have been on commentary. That would have yeah. been great. They missed the boat on that one. It definitely. He definitely should have been on commentary. Uh, the last thing we saw at that fight, because we were there live, sparkly hat and all, Keisha Cole showed up with her daddy. Yo, this is like the wildest story, non-story in boxing right now. I don't think it's getting talked about enough. The fact that Virgil Hunter is to be revealed as Keisha Cole's dad is like built for reality television. And this, it's, just, it's crazy that this is for real. Because Virgil Hunter is probably one of the most known trainers in all of boxing. Um, you know, guiding Andre Ward's career. You know, he's, he's, he's trained Birdo. He's trained Khan. Uh, trained Alfredo Angulo to the manslaughter of Canelo. But... <laughs> The fact that that's Keisha Cole's father, and, and, and the fact that they find this out, it's not like Keisha Cole found this out when she, she's at the hottest point of her career. She's just trying to make a comeback, and maybe Virgil Hunter is a little bit more higher profile than she is at this point. This, this is crazy. To see them together, just it's weird because you, you like Keisha Cole's voice, and Virgil Hunter whispers. Uh, she definitely didn't get it from her daddy. Nah, they, she definitely looks like him, though. Yeah, like, she does favor. Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, okay, now I see it. But how does it take so long? One, how did Frankie not know or remember hooking up with Virgil Hunter? It's not like he's a nobody. So well, if y'all got it in, you should probably remember that. Drugs are bad. So, <laughs> so that could be part of the reason. Um, and then even after that, it's like, yo, Keisha just randomly pops up and is like, hey, you're from Oakland. You kind of look like me. Let's get this DNA test popping. Like, I, we need to know the backstory. 
whether it's in a reality show or I wouldn't mind like a nice little VH1 Lifetime movie. You know, get someone to play Frankie back in the day and Virgil back in the day with a little mini fro, build it all the way up. Keisha could play herself as an adult. It'd be a great little show. You need yeah, to make I that mean, happen because there's a lot behind this story that we don't know that seems like it's amazing. I just yeah, don't I, know what happened back in the early 80s. Yeah, it's wild because I, I, you know, I'm even wondering, like, well, what the hell is Keisha Cole and Virgil Hunter doing at this fight? <laughs> of all the places they could have went, they went to this fight. Well, I, I guess know. they went to Mayweather's uh, daughter, Sweet 16. Oh, yeah. I she forgot. Posted, uh, yeah, she there. spent the weekend with Mayweather hanging out. She posted on her Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So they were here for that. It's a Mayweather Promotions card. Probably got the fight, you know, the tickets for free. Well, of course the tickets for free. I, I don't fathom that Keisha or Virgil will ever pay for a fight. Oh, no, that that's very true. But you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, party don't start until 11. You ain't got nothing else to do. Will you please take these tickets? Yo, this is, okay, just real off base, but still on, on the subject. This was Floyd Mayweather's daughter's. I believe, 16th birthday. Correct. Sweet 16. And she got Drake. And Future. For her birthday. Yeah. Amongst other things. Yeah. You know what? I'm not looking forward to anything else in my life. If, if, the, if this is what my parents can get me, hey, I want to see the hottest rappers at my birthday party. Like, Drake was not at the Raptors game, but he was at Floyd Mayweather's kid's birthday party. That paycheck had to be fat. Oh, yeah. I mean... Floyd, he also went yo, to Top Golf, by the way. Somewhere else yeah. I have to visit out here in Vegas. Yeah, I need to do that too. But man, I'm just wilding because it's like, yo, this is what you can do. Like, I would have loved to have Biggie for my birthday. Like, damn, Word, but I can't. Right? Well, then you know, again, I can't you had get Jay-Z a local rapper. Well, yeah, I mean, for like a community center show, which I don't still never know how you pull off. Yo, that that's a story into itself of how. We booked Jay-Z during the Reasonable Doubt era in Vegas and had a show. He performed in front of like 17 people. See, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. It's the equivalent of that, uh, except Jay-Z wasn't at his height, obviously. But, yeah, no, Jay-Z was just starting. This is like early, 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 early. Like I said, this is Dead Presidents. This is the, the, my single's uh, $4.99. This, this single's 5 bucks. Jay-Z. This is not the Jay-Z we know today. But still, like, I was hyped because that was, like, my favorite rapper at the time. Like, but he wasn't, you know, getting booked for, like, a million dollars. Like, Drake probably got paid. Yeah, nah. My daughter's 11. I will show her that and be like, yo, you're never getting that. I don't care how much money. Nope. Like, what do you mean? You better watch that video on YouTube. Right. You better live it up. I mean, damn, you better get the DJ to play all Drake all night. That's it. That's (laughs) wild. You're going to get a $400 DJ. Yeah, You're lucky you get that. Sweet 16 party. I guess my daughter has to have a quinceanera. I, I don't even want to think about that. I'm like four years away. It's Life comes at you fast. It's kids age you. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much our boxing hip-hop roundup before I start feeling super old. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, though, we have to talk about the UFC, which has a packed weekend. And two packed weekends, really, back-to-back coming up. And then we have to talk about all the wrestling that happened this past week. We had Extreme Rules. Raw, the announcement of a brand split and what that means to the roster, and a little bit of everything else. We had a couple departures as well that we have to talk about. (laughs) 
everybody and welcome back you're listening to the corner podcast of course this week we're not in our home at the las vegas fight shop but we'll be there again next week trying to get this expanded uh you know set going in there so if you guys are in las vegas though make sure you check out the fight shop for all your pro wrestling boxing you know t-shirts apparel they got it all ufc stuff make sure you check it out a lot of combat sports in vegas this summer and that's your one place to shop uh, definitely got a lot of Andreas and I's money so far. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Killing the merch game. Um, so let's talk about the UFC, who has a fight card this weekend. UFC Fight Night Las Vegas. I don't know which number it is. I lo- lose track of numbers. I just call it City. 88. This is 88, yep. Headlined by two of the best up-and-coming bantamweights in the world. Uh, we have Almeida versus Garbrandt. Cody, no love. Garbrandt, um... What do you think of this matchup? Is it too early? Uh, Cody's not even ranked yet. Yeah, I mean, he's ranked. On my, on my rankings, I, I haven't ranked. I think Cody Garbrandt is definitely deserving of a top 15 in the Bantamweights. But, uh, man, I, I, they, they have really nowhere else to go except to each other. And I'm not – I'm surprised that they done it, did it this early because – especially with somebody like Cody Garbrandt, who I think is highly marketable – and one of those guys that could make a lot of noise. But if he loses to Almeida right now, it could hurt him. Um, but then again, I mean, it's like, you know, we want to see the best fight the best. So why the hell not? I think this is a very intriguing fight on so many levels because when we last saw Almeida, um, you know, he showed that how vulnerable he was against Brad Pickett. And Definitely got get, hit. He still had the KO, you know, potential, but he took a lot of shots. Yeah, so you look at him. And you and, and I'm thinking, you know, as good as Almeida's been, he's really like a knockout artist. Garbrandt's a little bit more well-rounded, so it's it's a very intriguing matchup, dude. Like I'm I'm hyped for it. I'm looking forward to this. You you rarely get to see two prospects fight each other, uh, but I guess when you have Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber at the top, you got T.J. Dillashaw and uh, Rafael Sunchow, and another man on the card that we got we'll talk about is Aljamain Sterling uh, Brian, versus Brian Caraway. You're pretty loaded. And then, you I mean, you got guys like John Dodson who's here, and you got um, John Lineker. So it's yeah, like... Guys who are moving up into the division. Yeah, so it's like you've got a pretty stacked division. So I'm not mad at this headline in a Fox card at all. Um, one thing I'm mad about is Aljamain Sterling, who you just touched on, being on the fight pass again. So no one can see him again. He's number four in the division. He's not, you know, Sage Northcutt, who's still proving himself. This guy is a top five contender in the division, yet they don't market him as such. And again, like it's well, it's a fight highlighted by his own division. Okay, so we had lunch with Aljamain yesterday. It was like a small group of media got to talk to Aljamain, and he made a very good point. Uh, you know, at first he was not happy. You know, he resigned his contract, he renewed his contract with the UFC, and he ended up getting a fight fast card. But the fact that he's headlining a fight pass card, he's doing the media runs because nobody else in that main card is doing media runs like Al Jimenez right now. Uh, he has like a mini documentary 
that they filmed, that they shot, and they want to drive. You know, obviously, there's this initiative to get people to sign up for UFC Fight Pass, so they feel like it's better for Aljamain to fight on Fight Pass than for him to be, say, um, the third fight on the card or on the Fox Sports prelims, even headlining that. They feel like there's more momentum that they can push marketing Aljamain there. But with that being said, this will probably be the last time we'll see him on uh, a you know a Fight Pass prelim because he is that good. Uh, so I'm not mad. He gets paid the same. That's what he's like. I still get paid the same. You know, I got a lot of love. I'm able. I'm doing these media circuits, preparing me for what's to come. So I'm not mad at it. You know, there's going to be some people that are going to be upset, and I completely understand. But I get the strategy of putting Aljamain on Fight Pass to try to draw people to the network. I'm not against it, but there's just no consistency once again. Because there's no reason to push, you know, a 20, what, two-year-old Paige Van Zant to headlining her own card in Vegas, but not pushing Aljamain Sterling. Well, Paige was just, I mean, Paige versus Rose, that was a highly marketable card. Yes, well, give him a high, he's a top four guy. Give him a top five opponent. Well, he wanted Brian Caraway. But, but, I mean, for this is what he's talking about. Since he was hurt, and I talked to him for Sherry Dog over a year ago, the name that he kept bringing up to me was Brian Caraway. Because as he said it, he feels like that's the toughest matchup for him. And that's who he wants to prove himself against because Brian Carroll is good on the ground. He's a great scrambler. His striking is a little suspect, but it's something that can challenge Aljamain Sterling. This is who he wanted. So he got who he wanted. And because he got who he wanted, this is the placement on the card that he gets. So again, you know. step up after this. Like you said. Well, I mean, yeah, he's going to have to have a step up. But this is who he wanted. You know, if he wins, he could fight Dillashaw. He could fight a Sun Chow, the winner of that fight. He could fight. He could maybe leapfrog Faber Cruz into the Faber Cruz thing, depending on how that fight plays out, which we expect Dominic Cruz to dominate Uriah Faber. But this is a big litmus test. The bantamweight division is is pretty stacked. There's there's some impressive fighters there. You know, we could see an Aljamain Sterling John Lineker fight. You know, even though Lineker is a little bit lower than him, it might be interesting to see Lineker bang with somebody that has one punch knockout power. Um, so again, not mad at it. I, I want to see this kid perform. And he wants to set himself up for the Garden card. He wants to fight at MSG with uh, Chris Weidman in November. So, you know, he's, he's kind of lining himself up for something big. All right. The other key fights on this card, we have uh, Henan Burrell versus Stevens. Yes. His um, featherweight debut. Correct. And he was a guy that definitely needed to step up uh, or, you know, in weight class because he just plateaued at that lighter weight and he couldn't do anything else. Those two losses, um, you know, to the champ at that time, TJ Dillashaw really exposed him, and he, he needed something new, something fresh, to get that fighting spirit back. Do you think he gets it back in this fight? Um, this this is a litmus test, and this is a litmus test for both Jeremy Stevens and Henry Brown. Um, this is a fight where we will find out if Henry Brown's chin is the problem, because Jeremy Stevens is going to hit him. And he's going to he may hit him a lot. And uh I don't know, man. I, I don't know. This is a big fight. He can't lose think? again. That's, right. that's why he can't lose again. <laughs> um even if he just steps up to, you know, knock the rust off, maybe he can go back down and challenge for a title again. Uh there's a new champion. So maybe it was just TJ was <laughs> a bad matchup. Uh you, you never know how that can go. Maybe he stays and he jumps automatically into, you know, a top ten position. Stevens is number nine. Well, so, Stevens is number nine, but he's been, you know, he's lost three of his last four fights. He lost to Max Holloway, 
Um, he lost to Cub Swanson. I can't remember the third person he lost to. Correct, but uh, I mean, it's a division. Obviously, not as stacked as one thirty-five. You can no, jump right in and kind of be like, okay, let me try to contend. Uh, the top is very top heavy, so yeah. that's a little scary. But I mean, outside of that, you're, you're doing all right for yourself if you jump right in. And it could only take a year for you to get another title shot. Yeah, I mean, what's more interesting is that we're, you know, you talk about upsets. This was a guy who got upset by somebody that thought who didn't have a shot in hell. Nobody thought T.J. Dillashaw was going to be Henry Brown. Brown was on that ridiculous roll where he was just steamrolling everybody. He only lost his first fight. His first MMA fight was the only fight he had lost up to that point, and he had won what thirty-three fights in a row. Correct. So when a guy loses, his veil of invincibility gets shattered, and you got to see. If he can, if it's a mental thing, because at a certain point it's not physical anymore; it's mental. When you lose your fight and you lose that invincibility, and you don't think you can win. What happens? So it's the fact that he's moved up after being knocked out a second time by T.J. Dillashaw. A lot's going to be told in this fight, and whether you know Brown could be a competitor at featherweight, or he could just be a guy who's pretty much done. And we've seen the best of Hannah Brown, and it won't get any better than this. That's a scary thing to go from champ to washed in one year. Yeah. Um, we also have Rick Story versus Tarek Safadine. We don't have to get too far into it. It should be a good fight, though. Well, yeah, I'm always interested in Tarek Safadine, former Strike Force champion, a guy you know, who likes to you know, stand and bang. But Rick Story, he's a wrestler. Um, you know, he's one of the guys who I believe beat Johnny Hendricks early in his career. And Rick the Horror Story was a guy that a lot of people pegged to be a contender. And then you know, uh, his house of cards fell. Yeah. So... It, this is a fight, another fight where, you know, you got two guys who have a lot to prove. Uh, Safadine, I believe, lost his last fight to Rory McDonald, so he's got to get back on track. But it's a tough fight for him with somebody like Rick Story who can ground him and, you know, may just top control him for three rounds. Then we move on to Vitor Miranda versus Chris Camuzzi. Um Miranda has knockout power. I love the Lex Luthor whole gimmick. I liked him in his last fight. We saw his last fight. He was here in Vegas. Um... I'm looking forward to another knockout. That's why I'm watching, because if he wins, he's going to stop you. Well, yeah, he's going to have to stop Chris Camozzi, because Camozzi will keep coming at you. Um, you know, he's a good fighter. Not great, but uh, this is... this is Going to we'll be an see. exciting fight. It should be. You know, it should be. We'll see how long it lasts. But, uh, you know, this is another good fight. We can move on to Lorenz Larkin and Jorge Masvidal, which I'm, I'm pretty interested in. Yeah, because um, to me, Larkin's been on one hell of a run. So it's like, did Larkin get better? Like, Masvidal, you know, you look at it, Masvidal should probably win this fight. But Lorenz, I, I don't know, it's hard to pick against the guy right now. Well, I'm actually picking, well, we can give our predictions in a moment, but I'm picking Lorenz Larkin to win this fight. So he, lost a, he lost a, a split decision to Albert Tumanov, and as we've seen, Tumanov is one of the best people at welterweight. It's the change in weight class that has really, truly helped um, Lorenz Larkin, uh, I'm sorry, as a middle, well, as a welterweight, yeah. He's been a lot faster. He's been... He seems a little bit more dynamic. He's showing up his game. So it's like I'm I'm intrigued by this. Masvidal is one of those guys who had, who's always had the potential to be great, but he's never reached his potential. So, you know, maybe he hits the stride like, you know, like we've seen how Damian Maya kind of resurrected his career. Maybe he hits the stride now. And this is this is one of those fights where Styles make fights. Masvidal will stand in the bank. He's a little bit more dynamic in other areas. But Lorenz Larkin's striking is really good. So... Again, another good, really good fight. We've seen a lot of those resurrection stories lately. You know, even the champ, RDA, like you mentioned, Damian Maya. People catch that second wind, and then you look up, you'd be like, man, this guy's damn near unbeatable right now. 
Yeah, you put together a few wins in a row, and you know you're right in time. Confidence. It's all mental. Yep, indeed. And, and then we have uh, Josh Berkman versus Paul Felder. Man, Berkman, he's just been he's the people's warrior, as his nickname says. Every time he's gone out there, it's always been a good fight. He hasn't come out on the winning end of you know most of them, but hey, he's putting on great shows when he go out goes out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think his last fight stunk, but uh, you know, Paul Felder is, is the guy that I'm looking at in this fight. Paul Felder, he lost Edson Barbosa in a fight that he really wanted to win. Um, you know, he's a dynamic striker. Uh, he's good with his hands and his feet. And Berkman, Berkman is not an easy out, so he's rough and rugged. So I'm, I want to see this fight because, again, it's two guys that have a lot to prove. Like, this is, the, this is the car where everybody has something to prove. You know, whether it's to prove that I'm, I'm worthy of this division to make the leap into the top five or the top ten – or I'm a spoiler, or you know I put out fires. Like there's a lot to prove here, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm liking Paul Felder in this fight, even though Berkman's got a lot of dog in him. He's not going to go away. No, no. But like you said, Felder is uh this is his showcase fight. Absolutely. Berkman, that's where Berkman is now in his career. He's that he's that line. Like yo, either you can beat him and really take that step up because he's not easy, or you, you know you're going to fall to him because if you take him lightly. Or you mess up, he's going to make you pay. So it's right. really going to test you. And that's a good spot for Bergman. I'm not mad at that. You know, he's not going to contend for a title or anything. But if you want to be a contender, you want to be someone who has the name in the division, you fight this guy. Absolutely. Um, the other fight we'll just talk about, the last one, is the Fox Sports 1 prelim main event. Uh, we have Jessica Evil Eye versus Sarah McMahon. I like this fight. I yeah, think it's, it's a- going to be <laughs> tough. Um this is huge for one of these two women because the top of the division is still very jumbled. And we just saw someone jump from, what, number four into a title fight in one yeah. fight. So this literally can be, you know, two fights away from getting a title shot just because Dana doesn't want to see the same mat- matchups recycled. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a must win for both. Uh, if everybody remembers, Sarah McMahon is an Olympic wrestler who everybody thought was going to give Ronda Rousey problems, and Ronda shoved the knee into her ribs and ended her night. Um, and since then, Sarah McMahon, you know, she lost a, the, number, the one who's competing for the women's bantamweight t- title, Amanda Nunez. Uh, as for Jessica I, she lost her last two fights to Misha Tate and Juliana Pena. So she's in a must-win situation. Uh, McMahon, you know, she's a great wrestler, but... Has she evolved? And that is the question. Has Sarah McMahon evolved to the point where she can compete amongst the elite in the women's band and weight division? I don't know. Another crossroad fight. They both have a lot to prove. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, too. Yeah, it's a fight. Like you said, if Sarah has her weight, it'll be on the ground for three rounds. But uh, Jessica's shown that she'll stick in there and she'll strike with anyone. She's Absolutely. tough. So, I mean, it's, it's an intriguing fight. But like you said, all of them are intriguing. Um, let's give our quick predictions before we move on to wrestling. Or actually, we're going to talk a little bit other things in the UFC. But let's give our predictions for these. Um, let's see. Starting with McMahon versus I, who do you have? I'm going to pick uh, Sarah McMahon. I believe that her wrestling will be the difference maker and she'll be able to ground just guy and win a uh, unanimous decision but closely contested. All right. I'm going with Jessica I on the upset, split decision. I think it stays on the feet, and I think Sarah's still not great on her feet. Um I'm- Next, Berkman versus Felder. Uh, picking Paul Felder. I believe that his striking will make the difference. You know, Berkman won't get go away, but I believe that Felder will catch him with enough clean shots to give him the nod. Um, I don't think he'll stop him. If he does stop him, I'll be very impressed. But I believe uh, Felder will win a decision here. 
I have Felder as well. Uh, I think he stops him in the third, though. Uh, shout out to Berkman. He has heart, but, I, you know, refs don't care about heart. It's not going to be a KO, but it doesn't take much to get TKO. Um, hmm. Next fight, Larkin versus Masvidal. I'm picking Lorenz Larkin, uh, you know, for the reasons that I said before. Uh, he seems kind of refreshed and rejuvenated. So this is a fight, you know, even losing to Tumanov, he, it was just a split decision. He fought a, a decent fight. So I thought he won that, by the way. Yeah, so I'm picking Lorenz Larkin here. I think, you know, I, I still don't think we're ever going to see the best of Masvidal. I don't think he'll ever reach his potential. All right, I'm picking Larkin as well. Uh, decision in this one, but it's going to be a good fight. They're going to trade hands. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone got clipped and caught and taken out of there, but I, I think it goes all three and Larkin wins. Next, Ooh. we have Kamuzi versus Miranda. Um, Kamuzi. man, this kind of I, I'm going to go with Vita Miranda. Uh, Miranda's won his last three fights by knockout. Um, obviously not against elite competition. Uh, Clint Hester's probably the biggest name that he knocked out, but you know this is his opportunity to show what he's got. Uh, you know he lost the TUF Brazil finale to uh, who he lose to uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. Who I don't think he's making many strides, but I'm going to pick him to win this fight. I think he's going to stop Camozzi. Uh I like Kamozi. I, I mean, I think Kamozi's a good fighter, but I don't think he's going to have enough for Miranda in this fight. Yeah, I'm picking Miranda, too, by knockout. Uh, the guy's a finisher. That's it. Either he loses or he finishes someone. I'm picking him to finish it. Um, but it's going to be entertaining. I'm really looking forward to that fight. It seems a little out of place because the guys you know, aren't very well known, especially for right. the main card. But the action is going to justify its spot. Uh, Story versus Safferdine. Um, man, I'm gonna go with Rick the Horror Story. Uh, Rick Story is a guy, a guy, another guy who's had a lot of potential. Um, is a great wrestler. He's tough as shit. He, you know, he beat Gunnar Nelson uh, in his last fight that he had. And I think that Safadine, as great of a striker he is, it's hard to deal with a wrestler as tenacious as uh, Rick Story. No, I give it the exact same. Rick Story by decision. Uh, Safadine just doesn't have that KO power that you really need to get a guy like Story out of there. Like, if you're just going to hope to stand in there for three rounds against Story, it's not going to happen. He's going to take you down. He's going to wear you out. So uh, right. he just doesn't – it's not a great matchup for Safadine. I think Story wins this. Well, uh, the, the one other thing about this fight is that, you know, Safadine did fight Jake Ellenberger and won a, a decision. And Jake Ellenberger is, like, very similar to Rick Story. Um so, but I think Rick Story is a little bit faster, and I think he's a little bit tougher. I think Jake Ellenberg was just on the wrong side of his career. Yeah, he was definitely on the on the decline there. Um, Burrell Stevens. I'm gonna pick Henan Burrell, man. Um, I'm not gonna pick with a lot of confidence because I'm not sure mentally where Henan Burrell is at. But he didn't sound confident at all. <laughs> no, but but skill wise, Burrell is the better fighter. Uh, Stevens is he's always been known as a guy who finishes people, and he's he's active, he's busy, but if you're if you fight him in a point style like Max Holloway did, where you kind of pluck away at him, you can beat him. Um, you know, and there's things that Jeremy Stevens has never really shored up. As long as Brown doesn't get into a firefight with Jeremy Stevens, I figure he can win this fight, and he may be able to pull off a decision. I mean, a submission. I like the pick of a submission. Um, I think that's how it goes in, in my book. You know, Brown's going to end it, but you know, the strikes will lead to the submission. I just don't see him, you know, getting a clean stoppage. Jeremy's very scrappy, and I think he'll take his back, though, and get, like, a nice rear naked or even guillotine. So I think that's how that fight ends. We skipped over Sterling and his fight pass card. Uh, I'm sure we won't be the only one, sadly, to skip over this card. 
<laughs> um, Sterling versus Caraway. I'm picking Sterling. Uh, by decision, though. I don't think he finishes him with a submission. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, nobody really finishes Brian Caraway. So, uh, and I don't think Sterling will be able to either. But I think Sterling will put on a good performance. Maybe, you know, it's it's very possible that uh, Caraway, you know, this turns into a stand-up fight where Sterling has the advantage. Um, not a great advantage, but Caraway striking is terrible. Um and I think that's that's how Sterling wins this fight. You know, he has a, a better advantage on the feet. There'll be some there'll be some nice scrambles in this fight. Um, but um, yeah, Sterling's just the more refined and you know the, the more spry and young Bantamweight with a lot to prove. Definitely. And then main event, Almeida versus Garbrandt, uh, God, both undefeated fight. fighters. Both are not looking to go to the judges. So. Uh, I, I say you can send the judges home after the Burrell fight. It's just cool. Like, you guys are getting the same pay. We'll cut the check. We don't need you. Yeah. Um, These guys aren't going five rounds. Man, this is a tough fight to pick. And the reason why it's tough to pick is because we really haven't seen either tested. I think Cody is more well-rounded, but I think the longer the fight goes, the more opportunities that uh, Almeida has to knock him out. And with that being said... I'm going to go ahead and pick Thomas Almeida via third-round knockout. I think he's just going to – Cody's going to just fall asleep because he hasn't he hasn't fought the level of competition um, to prepare him for a striker like Almeida. And Cody's going to have to use a lot of wrestling. He's going to have to get in close. Um, you know, Almeida is vulnerable on the ground. He's going to have to take advantage of a lot of things. But I just think Almeida, even if he's behind two rounds to one, uh, two rounds to none, he'll come back and knock him out. Nice. I'm going uh, second round submission victory, Cody Garbrandt. Really? Yep. I think you're going to see that old school team alpha male choke his ass out. Like, signature win from Cody Garbrandt that we've seen a million times from likes of TJ Dillashaw and uh, I mean everyone in that gym. The California kid, Uriah Faber, they all have that signature win where you're just like, you know what's coming. You know how these guys finish people. And this is Cody's shot to do it. You know, the hands will lead to it, but he's going to, you know, clip them, get them on the ground, and that guillotine choke, man, can't stop it. Uh, we'll see. I, I, yeah, I've always thought that Cody is complete. He's very different from the rest of the team alpha male guys. And I think he's, he's, he has a lot of potential. But, yeah, I feel like he's just getting thrown to the wolves. This is, this is a tough fight. But, you know, this is a show-and-tell fight. Maybe Garbrandt wins and proves everybody, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm the baddest dude in the division. You don't know. So, I'm not everything is up it. in the air. <laughs> True indeed. Um, another thing that happened at UFC then, just to kind of move away from this and into the general news, BJ Penn suspended and pulled from 199. Uh, yeah, using an IV, and he kind of disclosed it. And he, you know, people were trying to say, "Well, how did you not know?" Well, I, I don't think BJ Penn knew that you couldn't use an IV at all. I thought he, you know, in competition IV. Correct. Um, but you know, he, he disclosed it. You know, he wasn't trying to lie about it. He just, Sada asked him, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I use IV. And they were like, you can't. He was like, oh, dude, I didn't know. So it's, it's a, it sucks because, you know, BJ Penn's not getting any younger. And for it to happen at this juncture, you know, with the fight uh, with, with Cole about a week away, you hate to see these things happen. But, um, you know, I th- still think we'll see BJ Penn in a fight. And, you know, hopefully Sada doesn't do anything drastic, uh, hand him a suspension or anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I think he beats it. Like you said, it wasn't to rehydrate by any means. It was just to stay hydrated during training. 
Right. And I think it was an honest mistake. Um, and I don't think that's ever been truly clear during this whole process. Like, unless you are actually consistently fighting since it's been, you know, installed, I don't think, you know, especially a fighter like BJ Penn who left and then I was coming back, really understands that rule. Right. Where it's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to cut this weight. I'm going to cut it normally. And the days after leading up, you know, the one day after leading up to the fight, I'm not going to rehydrate with IV. I'm just rehydrate naturally. And I think that's what was going through his mind. But you can't use it at all. He was like, what? Like, okay. Like, okay, I won't use it anymore. Let me keep going. And uh, yep. they were having none of it. So I, I think it's something that has to be cleared up. I think if there's something that changes in the rule going forward, this is something that will change. Because yeah. you can't have it both ways. Like, the UFC can't tell fighters, hey, you have to weigh this much the week before a fight because it's healthy. But then tell fighters, well, you can't rehydrate with an IV to maintain and get to that healthy weight. It's like, okay, if I can't hydrate, then I'm going to be lower than your mandatory weight. Right. Like, because all you want to keep on is water weight. That's what you're burning every day in practice. And you just can't uh, can't drink three gallons of water a day. It's just not possible. You're going to drown yourself. Yep. So it, something has to give. And if the UFC wants to make you know a healthy cut possible... You're going to have to let these fighters stay hydrated better throughout camp. And I, I think the IV band, you know, through training, maybe, you know, up until two weeks prior or something, uh, will have to be lifted. And, and that's something I don't think they saw originally. But, you know, UFC's young. It's a learn trial by error type thing. Learn as you go. And this is one thing they have to revisit. Yeah, they'll have to figure it out. I mean, you know, there's other ways. They'll, they'll figure it out. This weight cutting issue is always going to be something that they're going to uh, have to work their way through. So, um, But, again, you know, it's an honest mistake by BJ. He'll be back. Whether he'll be back to win, who knows? He's, he's kind of washed. But um, we'll get to see BJ Penn again. And it wouldn't be a podcast without mentioning Conor McGregor. Your uh, favorite story right now. Uh, Nate Diaz, he got a nice little visit from the bosses and turned down the Connor fight. He's over it. This is Nate Diaz we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> this is, I mean, no one's over money, but you didn't expect, well, this is Nate Diaz we're talking about. He doesn't necessarily fight for money. He just got a fat paycheck. So it's not at 200. It's not the fight that he was mentally preparing himself for. So if Dana comes and says, Hey, um, you're going to fight Connor, you know, it's such and such card. And he's like, I don't care for that fight anymore. It's this is very Nate Diaz. I don't, you know, we don't know exactly what happened at the meeting, but we just know that Dana was not happy with the end result. So who it's knows? So weird. And it's set up perfectly in my mind. It's like Nate, you can headline a card, possibly where Nick is coming off a suspension and could come back and be your co-main. He doesn't care. With like the Stockton boys, you guys are both making a nice paycheck. If you beat Connor again, you guys are both set up for maybe a dual title fight. As long as Nate wins. Because who wouldn't want to see Nate versus Robbie and Nick versus RDA on the same card? I mean, just it's just a matter of Nate not caring. And none of this is, is important. They need to have Nate better Diaz. foresight. Like that, That's the Diaz boys' problems. Yeah, they, they live they never very will. in the moment. Yeah, these, these guys, they just don't care about marketing, accolades, interviews. They come to fight when they feel like fighting. And if Nate just doesn't feel like fighting, there's nothing you can do. Like... He probably just said, nah, dude, I'm wakeboarding that weekend. And that would have been it. And Dana would been like, dude, what? And he was like, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm riding ATVs. I'm not going to interrupt that. 
Like they've always been hard to deal with. So not surprising. We'll see. Um, I don't know if this leads to where does Connor go? Uh, he's gonna have to defend his featherweight title. If, if Nate's not gonna take the fight, there's really nothing for Connor to do except for defend his featherweight title. Well, what, so you better that, get that puts him to like October. Probably. That's a long layoff. Yeah, but what other choice do you have? It's, I mean, it's, it's Connor's own fault. Yeah, right now Connor's just waiting, and you know, not to jinx anyone, but this is the UFC. He's waiting, and possibly in three different divisions, if someone gets injured in the title picture, he can jump right in. Well, yeah, I mean, we won't see him at two. We won't see him compete at featherweight without the proper training. Oh, excuse me, not oh. not one forty five. I mean, that's yeah. if that comes. That's just you know, not happening. That's not happening. But at one fifty five or one seventy, if yeah. for any reason you know, you know Woodley goes down, I wouldn't be surprised to see him step in against Lawler. He could. I mean, I, I would highly advise against it. If you couldn't beat Nate Diaz, you shouldn't be in there with uh, Robbie Lawler. It's very true. But, but this is Conor McGregor. And yeah. RDA is the same. You know, if for some reason, um, you know, that RDA fight opens up and it's, you know, two nights before UFC 200, they'll change that whole damn card around. Um, Again, I mean, we'll see. And, you know, Eddie Alvarez is the number one contender. There's always... Eddie really doesn't get hurt. No, Eddie's, Eddie will be ready for this fight. So I'm not I'm not expecting anything bad to happen. But... No, but that's that's where Connor is at this point, though. He's right. just sitting Connor... and waiting. He's just he. I mean, this is this is what Connor's got to do. He's gonna have to just wait. He kind of did it to himself, and uh, until he figures out what's next, he's gonna sit on the sidelines. So let's get this right. You don't believe Cowherd and September seventeenth, Mayweather McGregor. Colin Cowherd don't know what the hell he's talking about. Ain't, <laughs> ain't nobody listen to no goddamn Colin Cowherd. I mean, seriously. You know, I've been an MMA journalist for a while, and for for and a boxing journalist, and the fact that Colin Cowherd is the person saying that this. His sources saying Mayweather and McGregor is happening is utterly ridiculous. And if you fall for this, you're an idiot. It's so dumb. Um, but obviously, as journalists, when I had to like write it up, I was like, okay, you know, you got to provide both sides of an argument, and that's always my thing. I, I want to provide both sides. I was like, if you want to believe Colin Coward, or people are saying they believe Colin Coward, I was like, he has strong ties to Las Vegas. He was. Uh, the 51's announcer back here in, what, the late 80's, early 90's, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, he has deep ties, especially to the gamblers in Vegas. And he's always done, you know, handicapping and betting on his show nationally before it was a thing. Because his, his roots run deep here in Las Vegas. So, do I say that he, am I saying that he doesn't have a source? No. He has a lot of sources here in town. So, I, I'm not knocking that and maybe one of his gambling friends or handicappers told him yo it's going to happen but that doesn't mean it's true once again it's from now a, just a different third party source so that could be their gut feeling and him taking it as a, oh this is a fact um yeah. it, it could be mayweather who or not mayweather directly or someone in his camp you know just leaking that information to keep the narrative going mayweather already admitted to pretty much putting out the initial report and starting the rumors. So they are going to put it against someone in his camp, leaking this information to a quote-unquote insider, and then him running and telling Cowherd. So you don't know what's true, what's false, what's, you know, someone's agenda. It seems like both fighters, Connor and Mayweather, are going to fight again. They're not going to fight each other. But this is one hell of a way to keep your name in the tabloids and on the headlines when you're inactive. 
Yeah, I'm just not buying it, and I'm so sick of talking about it. It's just ridiculous at this point. <laughs> the people love it. It's yeah, driving the traffic. Um, let's talk about WWE. We waited all damn show to talk about this, and a lot happened. A lot, a lot happened for us to cover. Um, let's start at Extreme Rules, though. So we'll run down Extreme Rules real quick, kind of what we thought about it. Uh, start off with Baron Corbin versus Dolph Ziggler. Don't Pretty care. Show. Uh, no DQ <laughs> match. There wasn't shit about this match. That was no DQ. This was stupid. Uh, this, this was just dumb. It, this was just a match that you watched and it was like, why is this even happening? So Ziggler is an official jobber, right? At this point, yes. Thank um, you. I was right when the show started. If you guys want, you can listen back to episode number one where Ryan McKinnell and yours right here, Andres Hale, laughed at me for saying Dolph Ziggler was a jobber. And they thought he, he had be a main jobber. card, you know, you know, upper card possibilities. I'm like, nah, not at all. Well, I mean, you got to remember, like, this is WWE we were talking about. They've, they've ruined a lot of things. This is the man, <laughs> but let's be honest, this, this is the man who won Survivor Series against the authority with John Cena going out. Yep. This, this was who Dolph Ziggler was. So he would, it's not like he should have been a jobber. It's not like he's not skilled. It's the fact that they just don't have any faith in him. Yeah, there's a lot. They, they think there's better people, and I it, tend to agree. I, I mean, I disagree. I mean, Baron Corbin. This He's is definitely this is the case. not using him to put over Corbin. That's a little rough. You know, it's Dolph Ziggler's talented. It, this sucks. So, but you know, this is this is what we get with Dolph Ziggler these days. So, it's unfortunate, but whatever. And this was just a trash match. And then we had the club versus the Usos to open up the pay per view portion of things. I didn't uh, like this match. Uh, I thought. They made the club look weak. Like, if it's not a squash match against the Usos, like, why go at it? Well, that's what I said, you know, a few weeks ago when it happened. So, to see this uh, happen now, it just was it was a precursor to say, you know, AJ's not winning tonight, right? Like, that's what I felt like they were telling us. Because as soon as the Usos won, there was just no chance in hell that AJ was winning. No, definitely. I mean, it was just, to me, it was a filler match that didn't need to happen. I, I wanted... Gallows and Anderson to actually get like a legit match under their belt. But they had to keep them strong and give the appearance of, you know what, they ran through the Usos, they may run through Roman Reigns, and we'll start that narrative. To me, they didn't look strong. They looked like just another tag team. Yeah, and that's what they're going to look like. The thing about Gallows and Anderson is, as much as we like them in the Bullet Club, they really just look like average wrestlers when you look at them. I mean, that's they all don't... they were in the Bullet Club, to be honest. I mean, they were lackeys. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were good, but it's not about being good. It's about having something that, you know, the WWE finds is desirable. And they don't necessarily have that. No. Um, well, the Bullet Club is the di- desirable factor. So whether well, yeah, it's which obviously Club down the happen. road or what, that's what's going to make them desirable. Yeah, but right now, it's just, you know, tag team division could use them, but I don't I don't think they're going to be used the way that they need to be used. They really should, because the New Day being faces and being super over, it's a little too early to pull that, you know, big cast into a Mori card and go face True. versus face. And the VOD villains proved to be good heels, and I hope they continue that program into the next pay-per-view, to be honest. But right after that, you know, you have another pay-per-view before SummerSlam. It'd be great to give the Bullet Club, you know, a nod against the New Day. Even if yeah. they lose, you know, just have the New Day, you know, pull a switcheroo or something. I mean, I just feel like they're tied to uh, AJ Styles right now. Um, and whatever happens, 
is going to lead to AJ getting some help against his old friends. And whoever that, that friend could be, could be a guy from NXT that's fighting soon, but we ne- we don't know. But uh, it, it just seems like that's where, where the Bullet Club's going to Well, where Gallows and Anderson are going to be stuck. Definitely. And then we have uh, New Day versus Vaude Villains. It felt like this match was kind of a waste of time. I wasn't... This wasn't really a, a great match. To it me. made me feel like Big E is getting a solo push real quick. It needs to happen. You know, they were, with you know with Xavier like wrestling more, I kind of feel like this was a showcase match to build up Xavier and make him look strong. So when it's him and Kofi, you'll be like, okay, they're still a believable, you know, tag team champions, and Big E can grab his own strap. Yeah, uh, I mean, hopefully that will happen. The the New Day needs some competition. Um, I wanted to see the Vol- you know, I would have wouldn't have minded actually seeing the Vol- villains win this match because I feel like them losing just pushes them into the mid card. Um, but it, like I said, this match there was no drama; it wasn't really anything special. So uh, um, I have I don't have too much to say about it. It was it was what it was. It it, it was there. It didn't last too long, and then it was out. Uh, Rusev versus Kalisto. Thank God! Like I watched, Oh my God! The belt is saved. I was so happy to see you know Rusev crush Kalisto. You know, Rusev pre-show was amazing, by the way. I don't know if you saw it. Like he kind of dropped his accent, which I don't even care. But him and Lana were doing the, the Facebook yeah, I live watched chat. It. He was hilarious. Yeah, I mean Rusev is a guy that they kind of ruined after he got hurt. After him losing to Cena happened, and then he got injured, and then he got you know saddled with the League of Nations. Um, they kind of realized that, you know, Rusev is kind of a star, and he should be a guy that should be carrying this belt much better than Kalisto. And in this match, uh, he did what he was supposed to do, which was he trucked Kalisto. Um, weird finish when, you know, he, you know, the, uh, whatever, the body slam on the, on the side of the apron, and then the referee was kind of pushing it off. I thought they was going to, like, DQ him or something. And then he just, you know, uh, killed him. They <laughs> <laughs> put him in the accolade, and that was it. Yeah, so, snapped him in half. Um, Rusev really has to thank Ryback because I think they wanted Ryback to be this heel, and I think Vince was going to force him. And then Ryback did, you know, the dumb shit that he did, and we haven't seen Ryback since. And they're like, "Oh, we remember we have Rusev, and he's actually better at this heel role than Ryback would ever be. He can actually wrestle, and he has this hot ass chick named Lana next to him. Let's give him the push instead." Yeah, the, the smart thing to do is just, you know, put the belt on Rusev. I don't know if the Cena comeback means Cena's going to renew his feud with Rusev. Who knows? But it's just just get it off Kalisto. Thank you. Exactly. And we'll talk about that, you know, coming up here in a second because Cena might be in the title hunt. And it might not be the title, you know, people are thinking about. Right. Um, so that was that card. Then we have the Fatal 4-Way for the Intercontinental title. Miz versus Cesaro versus Owens versus Zayn. A halluva kick right out the gate to Kevin Owens, and I was like, "Oh, it's lit!" Yeah, this was, was an excellent match. This this match was excellent. Um, storytelling from the near falls of Miz trying to steal the win. It got to the point where Miz failed at stealing the win so many times that you didn't think he was going to win, and he eventually stole the win. Um, <laughs> and what helped? And it was great storytelling because what led to him stealing the win was Sami Zayn's obsession with Kevin Owens. Uh, you know. The, the holy kick on Cesaro and Owens, you know, pulled him out. And then Zayn had an opportunity to go back in the ring and pin Cesaro. But he chose to go after Owens, which led to Miz getting the victory. Great match. Had some great spots. Great work by Owens, as usual. And uh, 
they this is this was this was the best match of the night by far. Definitely my match of the night as well for all the reasons you just laid out. Um, I, I thought Zayn was gonna win. This is what the second, third time I thought Zayn was gonna win the title, and it's always just snatched from him because of his focus on Kevin Owens and they're building this so great yep. moving into the summer that whenever we do get this ladder match, whenever we do get this feud, it's going to be so worth it. I don't even care if I gotta wait until WrestleMania. Because their storyline is a storyline you can build into separate, you know, pay-per-views and different angles throughout the year. So you yeah. can have, you know, Team Owens versus Team Zayn at SummerSlam, or excuse me, at Survivor Series. You know, you can yeah. have them, you know, each chase the briefcase like they're, we're talking about in a second, and Money in the Bank, and they're in the same match. But they're still focused on each other. And you can just play off of different angles and the focus and everyone still knows and they're holding their breath because they're like, it's all about these two yeah. at the end of the day. Yep, it was it was really, really a really good match and very well told. And, you know, Fatal 4 is are difficult to book because you got so many storylines through service and they did, they did a great job with this match. And then we go from that to Ambrose versus Jericho. Hated everything hmm. about this match. <laughs> Uh, 25 minutes of garbage. It was this match. Okay. First of all, this match, it's like you, you completely forgot that Dean Ambrose was in the title picture at roadblock against triple H and had a great match. Dean Ambrose has now been reduced. This, this is what I've always said about Dean Ambrose. When he's in the right feud, he shines, but this feud has just made him look terrible. And like the funny half joking Dean Ambrose is no good for anybody. And this match with, you know, even though the, the thumbtack spot was there, it was completely unnecessary to see Jericho go through the thumbtacks because it, it didn't even it didn't save the match. It just was like, all right, great, Chris Jericho, you could take a bunch of thumbtacks in your back and arm. But to the point, it was twenty five minutes. Why? Why did we spend twenty five minutes telling this story? You know, what I would have been happy, and I would have been like, okay, it's a semi decent match if they would have just ended it when Ambrose got the thumbtacks, and then he puts Jericho in the thumbtacks right then, gets the same pop, and you know, match over. It Instead, was he sprinkled the thumbtacks and then he teased it for like ten months. I mean, excuse me, for like ten minutes. Yeah, it was. It was. Ridiculous. It, was a, it was a bad. It was just bad. The, the concept of the match, the you know, the, the use of like a broom, and it was just it was bad. And Ambrose has been stuck in these in this feud that just didn't make any sense. It was stupid. So you know, hopefully, uh, I don't know where he goes from here. To be honest with you, he's. I don't think he wins Money in the Bank. No, I don't think so either, but he's going to do some craziness, you know, that, that'll be a better match at least than uh, the one we've seen lately, even though we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about Raw here in a second. Jericho's in that match too, so who knows? We'll, they might continue the feud, which would be horrible. Yeah, I, like I said, this was bad. This was a complete and utter waste of time. There could have been time given to another match that was more deserving than this one. Definitely. So we go from that match into Charlotte. Um, versus Natalia submission match. Uh, it's ten minutes. They didn't tell a great story. Dana Brooke acts like she's Ric Flair. Comes out and you know costs Natalia the match. Charlotte wins again with help. Yes. the The problem I have with this match is that first of all, why is Natty so easily distracted? You're in this big submission <laughs> match and you're worried about Dana Brooke and. Yeah, they didn't get enough time. All that time that was given to the Asylum match, they could have given five more minutes to this match because these two can work well together. And they've proven that before, but they never really had enough time to really tell the right story. 
So, and again, so we didn't get that here. Um, Charlotte wins as expected, but it did nothing for anybody. All we saw is now that Dana Brooke, because Amber's injured and she's going to be out for a while, that Dana Brooke is going to be with Charlotte now. No, definitely. And uh, that that's such a weird combination. I don't think Charlotte needs anyone. Like, okay, Becky Lynch now is going to feud, it looks like, uh, with Dana Brooke. So maybe is that her way to Charlotte? Is Man, that like I don't the know. next angle? Um, are they going to run back that triple threat when Sasha gets healthy? I, I, I don't know. But sooner or later, you got to start building a SummerSlam because you only have two pay-per-views between now and then. Yeah, I, like I don't know. You know, we'll talk about Raw and what happened with Charlotte and Ric Flair, which was really the way it kind of happened was weird. But um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. But uh, let's move on. We have the Last main event. Match. Yep, main event. We have Reigns versus Styles. Uh, I like this match. Like it a lot. It's definitely Roman Reigns' best match ever, in my opinion. Uh, it's hard because I maybe the last pay per view was his best, but these are both like really up there for me. Uh, and AJ Styles is you know still the best in the world because he took Roman Reigns, who had a sleeper of a match against Triple H. Like people damn near should have left the building at WrestleMania. That match was so boring, and in two months made this guy one of the best workers on the pay-per-view incredible storytelling once again you feel like aj is going to win a couple times you know he's not going to win and then it was a great spot to finish the match with aj going for the phenomenal forearm and uh reigns spearing him out of the air to win clean um the match was good i'm not as high as the match as you are and my reason is is because my problem with roman reigns is, is he's a powerhouse who tells the same story in every match and this match was no different because you knew the finish. And that's what hurts, you know, big matches, uh, matches that you feel like should get higher star ratings and matches that you feel like are the best matches. When you know the finish and things are set up like like let's be honest, AJ Styles carried Roman Reigns through this match. Oh, yeah. AJ, and because of that, it's hard for me to say that this was great because Roman just kind of did his same old spots and and, you know, in their power spots and which could work in the right scenario but when you like guys like early cena like the mid 2000s the late 2000s cena and roman reigns when they do things in sequence as they normally do it becomes you know very formulaic and you know how what's coming like as soon as you saw aj set up for the phenomenal forum you knew he was getting speared oh yeah and and when that happened i was just like you know it's a good match but aj styles just can't have a bad match so it's yeah. more of a testament and to aj, AJ styles back to back styles clash Second yeah. time on the chair, uh, you thought he had it on the chair, and the stupid Uso grabbed his foot. Uh, it's just, you know, it was told really well from Styles' perspective. It was more the match was more about Styles than it was Reigns. When you yeah. leave that match, you you look and you say, "Man, you know, Reigns survived, but Styles put on a show." Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it is what it is. I wasn't too high on it. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was bad at all. But I just, I, you know, a lot of people were loving the match. And I just was, I'm not impressed with Roman Reigns' work. And then, uh, to me, he's better in, like, Goldberg and Lex Luger and the other powerhouses. Well, yeah, I mean, they so, I mean, suck. Yeah, I mean, if there has to be a powerhouse, people say, you know, the you-can't-wrestle chance for Roman, that shit's not true. Because we've seen way worse powerhouses. Diesel was champion a couple times over. Um, so people have very selective memories. I, I think Roman Reigns is better in Batista. I think he's the same. I think they're the same guy. You you think they're the same? I, I think yeah. Roman Reigns is a little bit better than Batista. I wouldn't. I can't say that because I, I think Batista put on a great match with the Undertaker at WrestleMania, 
And I don't know if Roman Reigns can do the same thing. Um, but again, it's, it's really, we haven't seen like high drama. I, don't, I never thought Batista was great. But I, him and Roman Reigns, I feel like, are the same type of wrestler. Now, see, we don't see the high drama because we all know Vince. And we know Vince is going to keep the belt on his champion. Unless it's against Cena. Unless it's against Brock. Or maybe, maybe against Seth. Anyone else that faces Roman, we know the ending. No matter how good the match. So, yeah. Roman's, it's not Roman's fault or even AJ Styles' fault. Because they built the drama. If we didn't right. know Vince's motive, those would have been one hell of a match. And we would have never known who was going to win. But we know Vince. Yeah, we know Vince. And I, like I said, the thing about Roman is like when you watch him, it's he goes through the similar. Because these guys, you know, they they still book their own matches. Yeah. So it's like they still go through. When Roman goes through the same kind of motions. And he doesn't have a, like a huge moveset, which is fine. But it's just he's, you know, like when Brian. He doesn't like, know anything he, else, though. Like he didn't he wrestle was, the Indies. He didn't wrestle around the world. He and knows this is one why, way to book matches. It's the way he was taught in developmental, and that's it. Well, but that's why he gets the you can't wrestle chance. I don't think he can't wrestle. I think that is harsh and unfair. But, you know, like in a similar way when Ryback was on fire when he was feuding with Cena and Punk, um, Reigns has a similar type of style. Uh, he's also you know, better than Ryback. Well, yeah, he's better than Ryback. I mean, Ryback has shown, has shown things that he can do well, but – they're all they're all the same th- you know the same thing they're not you know it's not Kevin Owens it's not Sami Zayn it's not Cesaro their work rate isn't that great it's slow yeah um, and those guys aren't necessarily powerhouses the best powerhouse and the only like real uh, you know outside of the Undertaker because the Undertaker to me is just a different class of his own if you want to put the Undertaker as a powerhouse he's the greatest of all time as a as a big man powerhouse um, he's in a class of his own but. Only one I can remember being booked, even like to the degree of all those other guys you mentioned, is Samoa Joe. Yeah, That's but he it. was like he's, a... the, he's the only other powerhouse because he was an opposing monster heel in TNA and all that, and they booked him perfectly. Yeah, they knew. It, and, I mean, and they, his but... work rate was incredible, which is something you told me from the get go, and which is why yeah. you know he's one of your favorite wrestlers because you're like, man, his work rate, especially for that size, for his character, for everything, is uncanny. Yeah, he tells a great story. It's hard to have a bad match with Smojo. He kind of phoned it in towards the tail end of his TNA career, but it's hard when a guy can is that versatile. Um, it lends to great storytelling. And Roman Reigns, Reigns is isn't there. that, but not not too many people are for no a powerhouse guy. Not too many people are. I can name two. Yeah, um, no, it's true. So before we talk about Raw, we were having a conversation in our group chat. You know, uh, Reverse Rat Pack group chat. Marcus Vanderberg was on the show a couple weeks ago, Ryan McKinnell. We were talking about what makes a five-star match. Um, you guys brought up the list in the group chat of the five-star matches of the past, what, a little over a decade? Yeah. And it's so selective, it blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe it that, you know, all the great matches we think of or what we consider to be a great match, um, we, one of the questions was, you know, when was the last time WWE had a five-star match? And we mm-hmm. had to sit down and really think about it. And I was like, well, I thought, you know, Sasha and Bailey put on a five-star match. Definitely the best women's match I've ever seen. And yeah. it was like, nope, not a five-star. And I was like, damn. And But then, you know, you pull up the list, and no one else has it as a five-star either. Like, it's a legit argument. Yeah, I mean, Dave Meltzer's five-star list. You know, there's some debatable things on there, but... 
You know, he's very partial to New Japan, which I understand. But my last great five-star match was Punk versus Cena. Um, and WWE. the reason why, yeah, WWE. But and the reason why that was a five-star match is because the story it told, like, it has to have a unique combination of elements. The story that's being tell, told, the match itself, the crowd, and the finish are all big factors. Um, Sasha and Bailey, while that was a great match, it had a, that had a great finish. There was some there was some sloppy parts in the match where the you know where it was I don't think it was classic. It's like a rap album, you know. There's some really great rap albums, but the, not every great rap album is classic. There's just exactly. great rap albums. Can so you have like, no skips. This is pretty much one of the criteria. Well, yeah. So there's a lot of things that go into it, you know, into the narrative of what's being told here. Cena and Punk. It there seems was like a, you're grading on like the Source Five Mike scale. Like it's that difficult. It, it, for me, it is, and and that's how. But that's how I look at everything. You know, I'm very harsh with my criticism, and I'm also I, I won't give away anything classic unless I truly like Cena Punk. When that match happened, mm-hmm. like I marked out because you didn't know what was going to happen. You you know, like that was one of the few times where I legit got goosebumps listening to a crowd. Like that crowd was so into that match. You don't get matches like that. You thought the Punk other match, was walking away, right? Well, you didn't know what was going to happen. You had no idea. Like, in your head, just like, there's no way the punk walks away with the title. Correct. Right? And everything, the way that it played out was just massively told. And another five-star match in the WWE was Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin because of the double turn and how well it was executed throughout that match. Like, those are great stories that are being told. And then plus great work where you're engaged from beginning to end. Like, there has been some great matches. Like, Zayn Nakamura was great. But is it classic? Is it five stars? No, I don't think so. Sasha and, and Best Bailey, match in NXT history? The best match in NXT history? See, I don't even know if it's the best match in NXT history because I need to go back and really... I'll have to really dig through everything. I thought it was a great women's match. I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of uh, when Sasha beat Charlotte. I thought that was a great match. Um, the triple threat with Sasha... Was it? Wait, no, no it was a four-way, four-way which was incredible. I, I thought was remarkable. It still wasn't a classy match. I put that right up there with Sasha and Bailey. Um, but it's really, I, I just don't give these things away. It's hard for me to say, you know, what's a five-star match. And WWE, you know, it, whether it's time restrictions, whether it's predictable endings, um, whether it's just the work rate's too slow, it's hard to have a five-star match. And, you know. And the cameras, you know, their, you know, entertainment aspects, something Marcus uh, mentioned in our group chat, it doesn't lend to five star matches because you kind of want to slow it down. You want that, you know, casual fan to be able to keep up with the action. So you have to slow down the work rate, you know, for many people. Some people now are bucking the trend. Um, I, I think AJ Styles and like Sami Zayn would go crazy if they had to fight each other. But a lot of people would be lost on some of the nuances that we get to enjoy in New Japan and the reversals we- and, you know, just all the counters, the teasing which we don't even see too much, you know, the teasing uh, a finisher or like, man, this guy knows this guy so well that he counters all his finishes. And we know the little moves and everything stuff that'll be lost on casual fans. Right. Like, you know, when Okada and Tanahashi wrestle and like their, their matches have been so great is because they can tell a great story through familiarity. Like these guys have wrestled each other for so long that they counter their counters. By the way, they have three five-star matches since 2013, according to Dave Meltzer. They have the last one, which was at Wrestle Kingdom 10. Um, yes. Which I didn't think was the best match on the card. I, I did. And, um, I, and 
I did. As much as I like AJ Styles and Nakamura, I think that the history of like that's a match, and the reason why I ranked it so high is because you you we're at the point where you're like, well, what else can they do? They've wrestled each other so many times, and they really pulled out everything from their history. Okada that crying match. was better than that. Okada he, crying? Yeah, he had lost, and like he was crying that one time. Oh yeah, when he lost to Wrestle Kingdom, he worked so hard to get there. Yeah, yeah, that but was I, better than that. Well, see, I, I disagree. Like when you when you get to the the third match and you and you've really exhausted everything that you possibly think you could exhaust, and you tell the story of you know the Rainmaker, um, the high the, the fly low, like the reversals, like that was great storytelling from top to bottom. Like there was not a moment where I wasn't engaged in that match, and it called back on the so many different matches that they had before. So if you've been following the feud, it made sense. But uh, you know, for the for the for the fact, I loved AJ Styles and Nakamura. I thought that was like a four point seven five match. Like I didn't give it classic. Yeah, see, I, think I, it was I thought, cool. yeah, I thought that was the best match on the card. Yeah, I, I get it. You and know, it's close, I, but once again, I, you saw all three, and I'm sure Dave Meltzer, of course, saw all three and knew the entire storyline of Okada and T- Tanahashi, and you saw it when it was live. That's the key, or you know, close to live. I saw everything going backwards, and you lose some of the the impact that way. Yeah, so um, for me, it's just I'm. I'm harsh on my rate I'm, I'm critical and i just don't give away classic ratings on anything yeah nakamura um, versus tanahashi is on here from um g1 climax oh which man was that was high good. on 2015 it's one of the yeah, first matches was, you told me to watch yeah that that match was so so good um a match you love uh ishii versus hanma yes from new beginning i i don't think it was a five-star match that's uh, one where i was like it was too strong style for me Yo, I love strong style, but that to me that wasn't a five star match. Like, you know, like some of my favorite matches, you know, are the Bret Hart, Stone Cold, and CM Punk and Cena. And I always talk about it—the the triple threat with Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, and Samoa, Samoa Joe. Joe. And T- God, that match got five like, stars by Meltzer on here as well. It's the only, the only TNA, TNA match. match. Yeah, the only TNA match that ever got five stars. The only one that, that could have came close to that was Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle, which was ridiculously good. But that triple threat—the story that it was telling—because Samoa Joe was unbeaten. And he was an X Division guy. Like, he was the biggest cruiserweight that you could find because he was doing things that, that guys his size just shouldn't be able to do. And even, the, even though you saw him in ROH, the fact that he's wrestling AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, who was at peak Christopher Daniels back then. Not, was, not uh, current Christopher Daniels. Not, yeah, not current little washed-up onesie Christopher Daniels. But um, he was at peak Christopher Daniels, so these were great matches. So it's just – that's all I'm saying. It's just, it's just – I'm very critical. Like – WWE is going to have a hard time, even though they have the right talent. It's it's going to be hard to tell a a five star match. Ric you know, Flair it, has like seven to eight five star matches. By oh, way. with Ricky Steamboat. I mean, it's hard. Like those Ricky Steamboat matches. I think Clash of the Champions. Um, In nineteen eighty nine, him and Steamboat had three straight. Yeah, Shy Town I mean, Rumble, Clash of the Champions, and Wrestle War. All in. NWA. They were. If you were in that time, like if you were in that moment. This was when Ric Flair was virtually unbeatable. By hook or crook, he was winning every match. And Ricky Steamboat was the only man who could beat him. And it's like anybody who remembers the story of Mr. X coming in because it was Ricky Steamboat wearing a mask. And it got revealed to be Ricky Steamboat. And, you know, I think he one of the matches used the chicken wing and beat Flair, which I think was the Chi-Town Rumble. But you wanted Steamboat to win so bad, but you just didn't know you were gonna, whether you were going to get it or not. And these two had like an epic feud. Um, it rivals, you know, the Steamboat uh, Macho Man match from WrestleMania three. It was their feud was just that good. There's so, so many four point seven five matches that it's crazy. This, 
hopefully uh we'll actually post this i'll post the link on our twitter page so you guys can follow it and you can see you know the five-star matches the 4.75s and when you look down the list it's just crazy to think like man that's not a five-star match but the grading scale is just so difficult yeah and yeah, it's true there's still places where you don't agree with Meltzer, and you're tougher than him. No, I don't always agree with Meltzer. You know, I think some matches are better and some matches are worse than how he grades them. I mean, this is one man's rating system. Granted, it's one man who's been in the business forever, but correct. You know, and I mean, he's uh, pretty spot on. And, you know, he's not going to give something a three when it was a you know a four and a half. No, so he's, he's, like, he's, it's close. Yeah, he's always going to be right around there. Um, so uh, yeah, let's talk we, about Raw then. Like, yeah, let's talk about Raw. Right. We got to get out of here. So we have the return of Seth Rollins. Okay. I want to I want to lead it with this. I hate the fact that the WWE tried so hard to make us hate Seth Rollins. I feel like he it did minimal, it so well. I don't think he did, and, and it's not his fault because what what we're essentially doing is we're minimalizing Seth Rollins by turning him back into a heel, which will essentially make him a chicken shit heel. I feel like it's a missed opportunity to make him the hottest man in the business, like he should be. We're, we're continuing to say, well, not we, the WWE is continuing to say that Roman Reigns is our guy and Rollins will be his foil. But this match, even, even though it's happening at Money in the Bank, it makes you feel like Rollins is not as big of a deal as John Cena. And, and that's frustrating to me because Rollins right now is the best performer on the roster in terms of strictly in-ring performance. Oh, Kevin I- Owens, I think... Kevin Owens, I think, is the best overall package Over AJ right now. Styles right now? I think, we haven't I mean, seen him in so long. but I'm just saying, when you mesh the styles of, of WWE, indie, because like, the shit he does as a heel is remarkable. Yeah. The way he's still able to tell, like, I think, I think that's why I say he's the best performer. The best wrestler may be like Cesaro, AJ Styles, but he's like the best performer. Well, I have to actually say performer. The overall package goes to Kevin Owens, in my opinion. But he's so good, and to minimize this as a as a chicken shit heel again, which is what he's going to be with Roman Reigns, pisses me off. I'm pissed, yeah, that they're going to use him as just another tool to get Roman over. Exactly. And the next question is, is how long until Roman drops the belt? Like, is Vince going to let this guy hold the belt for a year straight? I think it's... Like, until he proves his point, like, I made Roman the face of the company. Like, Vince, it's not going to happen. You I think he'll do the it. You want in front of him. And he's going to have him beat Brock Lesnar? I think he'll do it until he can't do it anymore. Um, you know, and what that means with the strap is is that won't happen. I don't rare, think that'll rare air. They, yeah, that that won't happen. He's not CM Punk. He's not he's not nuclear with the heat. He's not. There's too many names that can beat Roman Reigns that fans would, wouldn't mind seeing. Which you know makes you feel like we're getting a Cena Reigns match at SummerSlam. Um, SummerSlam has been known to do these face versus face matches. Cena's face Batista. We've had you know we've had a lot of guys face each other. So. I just hate. I don't. I don't want to see Ray, Rollins as the odd man out, which, which potentially he might not be because Variety just reported that SmackDown's going live to two hours on Tuesday nights, which is including a draft where they're going to bring back the brand split. What that exactly means in terms of the title picture, I don't know. I don't know who goes where. Um, They'll have to have the draft again, which was probably my least favorite part of the brand split, but it always ended up working itself out. It, it I seemed mean, like SmackDown had like the hardcore wrestlers. And exactly. Raw had the names. Right, and I think they're going to do that again. I think we're going to find guys like – I think Kevin Owens stays on Raw. But I think AJ Styles ends up on SmackDown. So it's going to um, be like TNA and like ROH on SmackDown and well, everyone else like WWE-type guys on Raw. 
Like, you got to remember, there was a time that SmackDown was so much better than Raw. And that's when Paul Heyman was writing. That's when they had Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar. It was like the work was just so oh, yeah. much. Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Um, Chris Benoit. So you, we could, you watch SmackDown overall every week. Yeah, so you could potentially see the same thing happening here. Um, but, you know, I, I don't have too much time left to really dig into the brand split. But, um, you know, let, let's talk about the rest of Raw because uh, – you know, we're teasing the, the Styles Club split that, that's being done. But we had the Money in the Bank qualifying matches. And we headlined a Raw with AJ Styles versus Kevin Owens, which is a great goddamn match. Amazing match. Um, Styles on the losing end of it was surprising. Not, not to me. I get, I get what they're doing. He's, he's going to be embroiled with the, the club feud. He's not going to be putting Money in the Bank. Like, he may have an Intercontinental or U.S. title running him soon. Um, Owens needs to be in this Money in the Bank because Money in the Bank is built on established feuds. Him and Zayn are going to be in there. Cesaro's going to be in there. And Jericho and Ambrose and whoever, the Lord, God forbid. I, I, I heard it was Albert, Alberto Del Rio's also. Del Rio got it, one of the slots on SmackDown. Um, if you yes. guys read the spoilers, by the time you listen to this, you know, you guys should be good. If not, oops. But uh, Del Rio got one spot, which is cool because Del Rio by himself is a good heel. I'm, I'm not mad at that. So, I mean, all in all, um, the matches were good. Uh, I also thought the the, uh, the separation of Charlotte and Ric Flair it just made me feel really bad for Ric Flair. Like, that guy can cry on a whim. Jesus Christ. Yeah, right? He, I thought, you know, Ric Flair is just a crybaby in general. Maybe he's just a great actor. He's, no, he's cr- a crybaby crying on the spot. It was amazing. Uh, that shit was, like, a little too real and uncomfortable. Well... It wasn't I kind of felt bad for Rick. Like, it seems, like, too real. Well, the problem is, is that Charlotte's not that good as a, of a talker. She allows herself to get rattled in her promos. And she allowed her, the crowd to get to her, and she allowed the emotional element of it to get to her, where she started, like, rushing through her lines. Like, Ric Flair carried that whole, like, segment. Um, it was good that it went to a cold cut at the end where they, they didn't play her music. They just left, and they showed Flair leaving the ring and hugging our aunt. Well... Seeing Arn Anderson not giving the interview to Renee Young, like it was good. I just don't know if Dana Brooke and Charlotte is the team that you need to see. Yeah, I don't think so. Now they're just buying time, but there's better ways to do so. Um, you know, I'd like to see Paige get another run. Uh, Becky Lynch still, I think she'd get a solo run. I wouldn't mind seeing her, you know, get a title just on a, a quick, you know, three week joint. Yeah, um, I'm not mad at that either. So we'll we'll see. But Charlotte. She wears thin on people. Same thing happened to NXT, though. She was the right choice to be first with the title, but you always notice these other girls are better. Yeah, she's she's a physical specimen. Like she looks great. She's a very competent performer, but she's missing elements like that. Sasha Bailey and maybe Becky even have. Yeah, Becky now um, definitely has it. Becky uh, yeah. has gotten so much more comfortable. She does the, you know, the commentary on the side. She's funny. She's quippy. You know, she's. She got that little toughness to her too. Uh, she's the ultimate underdog. Yeah. Uh, until you know Bailey comes up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, what else did I we def- see? Uh, we saw Enzo's back. Yeah, Enzo's back, and he's still dropping mics before he makes it out to the ring. I don't know if he gets too excited, uh, but he, this is the second time he's done it. He needs to keep a, a grip on that mic. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he's back to talk. He's not been. He hasn't been cleared to perform, but. Fair enough. You know, people just want to see him. Big Cass did um, throw him into Devon, I believe. Well, yeah, that was funny. I was like, yo, you've but, been um, taking a bump already? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's good to see him back. You know, this was this wasn't a raw that was full of uh, surprises. You know, it was a good you know uh, raw the day after Extreme Rules. Um, seeing Apollo Cruz lose to Chris Jericho kind of sucked. Oh, just, botch, botch again. Yeah, and I don't know they, whose end it is, but they always seem to happen in Chris Jericho matches. So I'm just going to put it on Jericho. He botched something with AJ Styles, damn near killed himself. Now he botched something again. Yeah, that's and that sucks because you want to see him. You know, you want to see, especially a guy like Apollo Cruz have great matches so he can excel on the card. But he's he's bound for SmackDown. Like he's that's he's going to go where he needs to work. Um, he still needs polish, man. So it's whatever. Um, but all in all, it was a good Raw. I feel like we're setting up the money in the bank. You know, I'm just intrigued to see where we go with Seth Rollins at this point. Super uh, Cena's back next week. Super Cena is back next week. Where does he factor in? Hopefully, he's not in the Money in the Bank match. I don't want to see him there. No, me either. Um, I mean, I'd really like to see him and Rusev again. I thought that was a good program. Yeah, um, that's that's smart for me. Even though I don't want to see him beat Rusev, no, I'd I rather see, see Rusev, Rusev you know, get one over on him. But I, I think this would be a great way to set up, you know, Cena's next feud. So it, even if he's going against Rusev. Rusev cheats to win the first one, and then you think, okay, the next pay-per-view, which is right before SummerSlam, you're just like, okay, well, Cena's going to win the title, right? And then maybe we have, like, a Lesnar come out. Or whoever is going to be the next uh, SmackDown champion. Because that's the heavyweight title has to come back, right? With the brand split? I don't know. You have to have have two titles. We got until July, so so we'll have to wait and see how they're going to map this whole thing out. Yeah, it, I mean, essentially, it'll be Shane and up. Stephanie splitting up to, to uh, SmackDown and Raw is what I think will probably happen. Correct, and I we'll think see. Shane goes to SmackDown. Right. Um, and takes his guys, you know, the true wrestlers, to SmackDown. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of ways, but I think it could be a good two-pay-per-view feud. They already have a history built up. You know, Rusev, I Hate America again, Cena, God Bless America, yeah, and it sets up well. So uh, we'll see. More talent's going to get called up. They're going to bring more guys in. Everyone expects Finn to make his debut soon. Yeah. Because well, Samoa Joe, Finn, seems like the end of the chapter in NXT, and it seems like Finn's goodbye. Right. And now is, you know, the perfect time. They've kind of cooled him down in NXT, so hopefully people don't, like, you know, get a shock factor and miss him too much. They're building up the Nakamura's. Uh, he's going to go against Austin Aries. You, you're building up Samoa Joe, some of these other guys. So when Finn fades to the main roster, it's like, okay, cool. We know who these other guys are. We're comfortable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, let's wrap it. Up. I got a I got an interview in a couple minutes here. Yeah, um, we got stuff to do. We got to work. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. You can follow us on all our social media, which is the Corner LSN. You can follow me on my social media pages at Kel Dansby. Yep, and I'm at Andreas Hill. You know where to find me. And we're gonna make sure Andreas breaks out those demo tapes, aka Young the Game, spitting hot fire. All right, that's enough out of you. (laughs) And until we make that happen, we'll be back next week from Las Vegas Fight Shop. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in. Till then, we're out. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.